All right. All right, turn with me to chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're continuing our series called Family on Mission because we're learning to be a family on mission. We're learning what it looks like to be the church, right? And we're trying that out. And uh, boy, I think we're growing. I think we're really making some movement forward, both in the family area and the mission area. A um, couple quick uh, testimonies as you turn to John chapter 13. I want to I honor Gina right here. She's the one who got us going with Good News Club. And yeah, that's on, yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of tough to do an outreach that's right in the middle of the day. People work usually, but uh, and so, so we haven't been doing it for the last, I, I don't know, maybe a year, but we're kind of, we're moving back into that. And so those of you who are students or you can flex your schedule, we'd love for you to be a part of that. Um, I go over to Citrus with Sam and I've been doing the Citrus thing for a while. We just serve the Christian club, but I'll tell you what God is doing at Citrus in terms of the Christian club is awesome. Like, uh, they're having a lot more meetings. You know, the more meetings you have, the more people can come, the more people can come, the more people can hear about Jesus. Right. And so it's great. Um, the Christian club is getting stronger, a lot healthier. There's been times where at Citrus, the Christian club has been, had some extremes or it just wasn't continuing, like it didn't have consistency. There's a lot of good leadership there. Um, and I've been wanting to do a discussion forum at Citrus for probably two years or so since I came back from Thailand. And we just go there, we pray, like uh, Sam said, we pray for people and it's great. Because I'm consistent, and Sam often comes, we've been building friendships with people. So oftentimes I'm praying with people. I mean, I've had people walk up to me, literally, at Citrus, crying, asking me for prayer. Does it, I mean, does it make sense? It's, it's pretty, sometimes it's, it can be pretty intense in just ministering to people. Well, um, we've been praying and, and working towards this kind of discussion forum. And because I'm not the leader, I'm just there to serve this Christian club. I'm not the one making this stuff happen necessarily. I honestly don't even have that as much time to do it. I'm just trying to be a support. Well, the Christian Club decided to start doing these discussion forums. They call them Illumination Forums because the Christian Club's called SOL, Soul uh, Students of Light. And the, a couple weeks ago, we did a discussion forum on is there evidence for the existence of God? It was powerful. There was a bunch of Christians and a bunch of seekers there. I mean, there was definitely people who were uh, maybe not full-on given to Jesus. And we had this awesome discussion. And then afterwards, I talked with a person, a friend of mine that I've built a friendship with over time. And I just talked to them for a couple hours about the Lord. It was amazing. It's really powerful. And then people got really excited about it. The Christians got excited. And they're going to promote it. And we're going to do another one uh, this coming month on, I think, Jesus. Like, is there proof for Jesus? And is, you know, all that stuff. And we're just going to keep tackling some of the tough questions of spirituality. I think it's going to keep building. So keep praying for that. It's pretty powerful. Um, and also just a couple other testimonies. Uh, we've had at least in the last two, in the, in the last two weeks, we've had at least three raises or promotions. It's amazing. I, I, I know from, um, two, two of them, two of them, they said that there were like hiring freezes, but they got in. So, I mean, it was, it was a God thing, right? Uh, and then, uh, I just want to talk about how God's blessing you, man. Andy, a couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, Gina prays for Andy because he had gotten hit on the back of the head a while ago and had tingling nerve damage at, the, at, his, at his extremities. So Gina prays for him, and he was healed, right? Instantly, right? Instantly. No problems. Yeah. That's God. So, I mean, that's, and, that, and that happened a few weeks ago. I know a number of you have probably been getting healed and stuff, but that's powerful, right? Where somebody hurt him, and then the Lord brings healing and restoration. And, and I tell you, if he does it in one area, he's going to do it in all the rest, right? You just got to keep pressing in. So then that's not all. That's not all. Because 
he starts OSL on uh, last Sunday. He started OSL. And Monday, he gets a job. No, I didn't count that in the three raises slash promotions, right? He got a job. Not, see, he's a metal worker, and he needs to get into a union to get all that. He got in. The Lord did that. The Lord did that. That's favor of God right there. That's not the economy. That's the favor of God. Then, and then, this is part of who we are as a church. Somebody in the church is selling their truck to him, but not for what the truck is worth. Let's just say that, right? The Lord blesses through each other, right? Amen? Amen. Right? Yeah, yeah, and he's the one who's happy. <laughs> yeah, Luke King over there, he's the one. He's selling his trucks. Let me tell you, we're, really, we're growing as a family. I've told you before, a lot of times behind the scenes, there's a lot of giving going on. A lot of financial giving, a lot of serving. You may not know this, but there was just some, you know, some ladies in our church that, uh, there was a one girl who spearheaded this and some other ladies that came alongside, and they went, and they're going and serving somebody else in our church, some ladies going and walk, cleaning another lady's house who just needed some help with that. And they're just going, and they're serving, right? Behind the scenes, right? And uh, I, I don't think Miriam's in here, but Miriam's the one who's coordinating that. That's just, what happens is people see need, and they just say, let's serve that person. Let's help them out, right? Cooking meals for people who just had a baby or, or helping somebody get a car fixed or, or, you know, all those kind of things, right? And so let me tell you, there's a lot of needs though, isn't there? There's a lot of needs. There's people here who need cars or need cars repaired. I just heard about a family who need a car repaired and uh, there's people here who need uh, jobs or better jobs. And so one, it's us praying for each other, amen? Believing God with each other, but it's also asking, how can I, how can I help? How can I serve? How can I give, right? And that's what we want to talk about today when we turn to John chapter 13. We're learning that we really are a family. We really are one. And what it looks like to be a family on mission is to fulfill Jesus' prayer, right? We've looked at that in John 17. Father, make them one, Jesus prayed. Father, make them one as we are one, that the world may know that you sent me, right? That is the prayer. That is the vision of Jesus' heart, that we would be such a family loving one another and walking in unity and serving one another that the world would really come to a place of saying Jesus really is the Son of God because only Jesus could make those people love each other, right? Like it's a supernatural thing that God does that he takes people that are so different and people that are dysfunctional and broken and he teaches us how to walk in unity as we love one another. So that's what we've been doing. We've been learning what it looks like to be the church and this is God's redemptive plan, that we would be his salt and his light, or as we sang today, his leaven, be, by loving one another. And so we've been looking at the fact that because we're one, because we're family, we need to die to self, right? We've been learning that we need to fight for our relationship. We need to press and really work at building unity. And, and part of that was last week, as Luke said, that we're learning that each of us have to do our part. When we're in covenant love together, when we're in relationship, whether it's marriage or in the family of God like this, it's not 50-50, right? Amen? What is it? It's, I can't do your part and you can't do my part. It's 100%, 100%. And so that's why we talked about that last week. You doing your part, me doing our part, and, and we've looked at some of that. So today what I want to talk about is what does that look like when we learn to love one another? What, would, what, what does it look like as we walk in one to love one another? So let's, um, <clears throat> so let's do that. Let's look at John 13. Let me pray. So Father, I ask that you would cause our love to increase. I thank you for what you're doing in our church. We honor what you're doing. We give you the glory. We thank you that we are loving one another. But Lord, I know there's more. We all know there's more you. 
more of you to change us and love through us. And so we would love like you love. You would increase and cause our love for each other, but also for the world to abound, to increase more and more. So Father, we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, so John chapter 13. This is Jesus at the Passover, and it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, or some translations say in the middle of it, of supper, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, arose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but, what, but, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Let me stop there for a second. So Jesus, it's, this is the last supper. This is the meal when Jesus broke bread and said, this is my body. And he gave them the, the wine and said, this is my blood, the blood of the new everlasting covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. This is that meal. They're having this meal. And in the middle of this meal, or maybe at the end of this meal, either way, it doesn't probably matter uh, exactly the timing, he's... They're having this meal, and he looks around, and Jesus decides to get up, and he literally takes off his outer garment. Right? This is your Lord, this is your master, this is your teacher, this is the person you think the world of. Right? This is Jesus. He takes off his outer garment, he puts a towel around his waist, he pours water into a, into a, a bowl. I mean, they all know what he's going to do, right? They all know what he's going to do. And he goes over and one by one, he gets down at their feet. They don't sit on chairs like we do in their culture. They sit on cushions, so they're kind of laying there. And he gets down at their feet. You know, and they don't have shoes like we do. They, didn't, they had dirty, you know, dusty feet. And he gets down there and he begins to wash their feet. Right? Can anyone say, awkward? Right? That's You're watching your master take off his outer garment and put on a towel and go and wash your feet? Has anyone ever washed anyone else's feet? Have you ever tried that before? Has anyone ever done that? Awkward, right? Can, I, can we just say that? Can we be honest? In our culture, have you ever washed anyone's feet? It's, it, that's awkward. Can you imagine? You're like watching Jesus take off his shirt. Like, what's he going to do? Oh, he's pouring water. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What's he, go, what's he doing? He's going to wash our feet. Oh, my goodness. See, we know it's awkward. We know that Jesus totally went outside of what was culturally normal because Peter's like, he ain't going to do that for me. Like, he's totally weirded out by it. I had a friend that, uh, he, he, there was some issues where another man, uh, another, another person hurt him. And to, in order to show forgiveness to him, the Lord showed him that he needed to go wash this guy's feet. My friend did that, right? He walks up to the, I mean, like it was, I think it was in, our, in the dorm rooms when we were at life. And he just says, yeah, you know, we, the Lord told me I need to wash your feet. And he washes this guy's feet that had been mean to him. That's weird. Does that make sense? That's awkward. It's silent. You're touching another dude's feet. Like, does that, do you see that? Do you know, it's actually kind of intimate, right? It's actually kind of intimate. I've done this before. I've done this before, not with somebody who hurt me. That would be even weirder. But there's a silence. There's an awkwardness. You're touching the feet. I mean, they're dirty. It's hard to receive that, but it's also hard to give that. You're touching the lowest part of their feet. And so here Jesus does that. Not only that, in their culture, in their culture, you only did that if you were the lowest servant, they all know that. Does that make sense? See, there's rules. Well, there's rules we have in our culture, isn't there, right? There's things you just 
don't do, right? See, in their culture, servants washed other people's feet. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. He's the, he's the master. And he's the one taking off his garment. And he's the one girding himself with a towel. And he's the one washing feet. He totally goes outside of what is normal in their culture. It's not just that washing feet is already weird. That is a little bit awkward. But in our culture, it's awkward. I'm telling you, in their culture, it's still awkward. For Jesus to wash the disciples' feet? You don't think that the disciples are all sitting there during dinner thinking, what do you, Lord, do you want me to wash people's feet? Do, do, you really, do you think the disciples were even thinking about it? Do you think it was even on their radar? I highly doubt it, right? They were not even thinking about it. They're just eating food with stinky feet. That's usually, that's guys right there for you. And uh, they're just eating the food and everything. They're eating the food and they're not thinking about it. They're not thinking about, oh, should I wash my brother's feet should i be the one to lower myself right no no no. but jesus who is the highest chooses to become the lowest jesus who's the master chooses to become the servant and he breaks cultural norms that's awkward and so we see uh, peter's reaction in that and listen to what jesus says we're just going to skip a couple verses and go to verse 12 listen to what jesus says about what he did this is a very familiar story verse 12 so when he had washed their feet taken his garments, so he put it back his clothes, put back on his, his outer garments. He sat down again, and he said, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then just jump over to verse 34. He, he kind of, Jesus goes into another subject, but he brings it back in verse 34, and he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so the context of that famous verse, they'll know you're Christians by your love, is right there in this context that Jesus is setting us an example, right? Didn't he say that? He said, I have given you an example in verse 15. And he literally says, do as I have done to you and love as I have loved you, right? He is the model for how we are to love, amen? Amen. So, so I am, I'm supposed to follow his example. I'm supposed to do what he does. I'm supposed to love like he loves in the same way that he loves. And notice that he says, you do what has been done to you, right? Which means that I'm not just observing Jesus. We need to meditate on Jesus. We need to observe him and we need to see what he's doing so that we can do what he's doing, right? We can love like he's loving, but it's more than that, isn't it? He says, do what I have done to you. Love others, love one another as I have loved you, which means that the very first step is to receive from him, isn't it? To receive his serving us, to receive his loving us. But in the same way, he says, in the same way that I've loved you, in the same way that I've served you, you're supposed to do that, right? So he's our model. Well, so look at his model. What does it say in chapter, in chapter 13 in those first verses? Look here and even in verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. See, Jesus knew something about himself, didn't he? Jesus was confident. Father loves me. God loves me, right? He knew exactly where he came from. 
He knew that he was the son of God. He knew he was going to the cross according to the will of God, and he knew he would rise from the grave. Amen? You know that, right? He knew that God would raise him from the dead. He knew exactly who he was. See, it takes faith to love other people. Did you know that? You don't love people if you don't know who you are, if you don't have faith. So, you know, we're not the son of God, but we are children of God, amen? And if you don't know who you are, you don't love other people. It takes faith to love other people. Let me give you an example. When you're worried about your finances, who are you thinking about? Are you thinking about others? No, you're thinking about you. Right? Isn't that what worry is? Worry. You're worried about whose finances? Your finances. You ever worried about someone else's? Some of us, maybe, because you're concerned for them. But worry. When you're worried or anxious about your finances, can you you love other people? No, most of the time it shuts down even a giving heart, doesn't it? I only say that as one example of many, that when you don't believe God, you don't love people. Faith produces love. Faith produces love. Galatians chapter 5 says it this way. Paul says what matters in Galatians 5 is faith working through love, or in some translations, faith manifesting or producing love. You know that if you say you have faith, but it doesn't produce love, it's not faith. Amen? Do you think Jesus was worried when he was doing this? Have you ever seen Jesus worried about anything in the Gospels? Did Jesus worry about himself at all? No. No. Do you, do you Jesus, oh man, I'm not, I'm not sure... I'm really concerned about my finances. Can I, I'm not sure if I can feed these people. No, he goes, what do we got? Multiplies it, right? He knows, Jesus knows in the kingdom there's always more than enough, right? Think about what if you're struggling with guilt and shame and condemnation? Can you love other people? Who are you thinking about when you're feeling guilty? You thinking about others? You thinking about others when you're walking in condemnation? No. What happens when you know you're the righteousness of God in Christ and every one of your sins has been forgiven? Jesus has taken care of it. There's enough forgiveness for me. What happens? What do you do? What, what kind of person do you become? You become a forgiving person, don't you? Now, if you aren't, you don't, you don't really believe. Your faith is in vain, isn't it? What happens when you believe? Man, God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory. What happens? What happens? You become a giving person. That's what's supposed to produce, amen? Faith-producing love. Jesus was absolutely confident in God's love, wasn't he? Absolutely confident in who he was. He knew. Father knows me, loves me. I know who I am. I'm a son of God. I know exactly why I'm called, right? And it says also, not only did he know this about himself, but in verse 1, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Do you think that Jesus was afraid of his reputation? Boy, I don't. I'm not really sure if I should wash their feet. I mean, what if their opinion of me gets left? Oh, oh man, I'm kind of afraid. What if, what if they think this is weird? What if I make them feel kind of awkward? You know, I don't, but don't we think about that stuff? Isn't that how we process almost everything that we do? What are they going to think about me? What if they reject me? What if their opinion of me goes down? Who are you thinking about? You're obviously not thinking about the other. You're thinking about you, Right? Do you think Jesus had a fear of rejection? Do you think Jesus was afraid about the, of what people thought of him? No, not at all, was he? He gets right up, takes off his outer garment, puts on the towel, and begins to serve. Why? Because he's confident. It takes faith to love. We've seen this. We've grown in this, haven't we? In 1 John chapter 4, it says, perfect love drives out fear. 
Why? Because fear has to do with you. See, let me, let me tell you something about love. Love always, 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 always. Everyone say always. Love always is other-focused. Love is always sacrificial, meaning that it gives, and it hurts when you give. And love always lives in a place of discomfort. Always. Always. Always is other-focused. Always is sacrificial. Love is always living in a place of discomfort, awkwardness, and it always produces blessing in life. Now, that's not a definition of love, but that is a description. And you see that here in this passage. Think about what he's doing. He's not worried about himself. He knows exactly who he is, and he loves them, and he is serving them. He's becoming lower. And what is he doing? What is he doing? He is laying down his own reputation, is he not? What did he do when he came to earth? Did he not empty himself of his own glory? Did he not set aside his divinity? Not that he stopped being God, but he set aside the power and the privileges of of being God, and he put on humanity, right? The God... The Son of God, Jesus Christ, became a human being. Is that a sacrifice? And then the author of life, he died on a cross for us so that our sins could be forgiven. Is that sacrifice? Do you think that hurt? Do you think that that felt good? Do you think that felt good for Jesus to be scourged? Do you think it felt good for him to hang on a cross virtually naked while people mocked him? Do you think it felt good for for his own creation, for the Jewish leaders to say, if you're really the Son of God, just come on down from the cross right now. You think that felt good? No, that's uncomfortable. That's sacrifice. That hurts. And that is our model for love, isn't it? We're not to be the model for love. We're not to base how we love on us or how we feel. That's self. That's self. But we're supposed to do what Jesus did and to love like he loves. And the way he loved was always other-focused. And it was always sacrificial. And it always, always, always meant moving out of a comfort zone and moving into a place of discomfort. Now, the thing is, is when you move out of that place and you give and you sacrifice and it's uncomfortable, because it will always be uncomfortable. How often when you love people will it be uncomfortable? Some of you don't believe me. It will always feel uncomfortable. But when you move out of the comfort zone, and into that place where it is uncomfortable and awkward because you're giving and you're sacrificing and you're serving and you're being other-focused rather than self-focused, there's always blessing in life. Did you hear what Jesus said? Now you'll be blessed if you do it, right? In verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do it. You love like he loves and you move out and give to other people and serve them. There's blessing and there's life there. Remember he said, if you lose your life, you find it. But if you try to save your life, you're all about self, and you lose it. You lose your life. <clears throat> Love is always other-focused. It's always sacrificial. lives in that discomfort zone. It always brings blessing. You know, my, uh, I'm always trying to explain this to my kids. You ever notice with kids, they always fight over stuff? They fight over stuff, right? So let's say you're, they're eating a bag of chips, or not a bag of chips, like a bowl of chips, and they're fighting over it, right? No, no, give it to me, give it to me, right? I go, hey, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Where'd that, where'd that bowl of chips come from? There's a bag in the closet. Yeah, who gave that to you? You did? 
Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a bag, right? So there's more, right? Can you guys get more? Yeah, yeah, we can get more. Okay, okay. And what happens if we run out of, what if we have all the chips in the house? Where do we get the chips from? The store. Right, 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 right. And who, who bought them for you? You did? So are there more chips? Yeah. I, some, I don't always go through the whole explanation. Sometimes I just say it this way. Guys, you can share because there's always enough. It's always enough. See, what are they doing? They're thinking about themselves. And what am I always trying to do? Stop thinking about yourself. Think about giving to others. But it's rooted in what? Faith. I don't want my kids to have a poverty mentality. I want them to understand there's always enough. There's always enough. And out of that, I can give. Do you realize every time you love somebody, every time you serve, every time you do what Jesus did, what are you giving? Sometimes we give money. Yeah. What, what about time? We give time. You give your emotional energy. You give yourself to them, right? Every time you're loving somebody, you are giving something. You are choosing to lay down something of yourself to give and to love people. Jesus was literally, literally re- laying down his reputation, showing them that the way you serve somebody is by literally sacrificing position, sacrificing reputation to serve and empower others. That's what he was doing, right? That's how one leads. But it's true in every other aspect. When somebody has a need and I go to meet that need, I am giving of my own money. When somebody hurts you, what are you doing? When you forgive them, what are you doing? You're giving to them forgiveness, aren't you? Isn't it a gift? If they didn't deserve it, I mean, if they deserved it, it wouldn't be forgiveness, amen? Does it make sense? It's a gift. It's mercy. Of course they don't deserve it. That's the point, right? Oh, but Dave, that's hard. It's hard to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. If it doesn't hurt, and if it's not uncomfortable, it's not love. I'm telling you, love always is other-focused. It's always sacrificial. It's going to hurt. You're going to feel it. You are giving something of yourself, giving something that's yours to somebody else, and it always, always is going to feel uncomfortable. Let's look, look, let, me, let me just read some verses to you that Jesus says, or I'm sorry, that's about Jesus and how to love like he loves. Just let's listen to this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jews, circumcised nor uncircumcised, bar- barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but all, Christ is all and in all. This is in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even, listen, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I'm telling you, it's all over the scriptures. Does it make sense? It's all over to love one another and he's the model. Forgive as I've forgiven you. Love as I've loved you. How has Jesus forgiven you? Has he forgiven you of every sin? Didn't he make sure that, right? Didn't he forgive you of all that stuff? What about yesterday? Did he forgive you? Does Jesus bearing with you in love? Does Jesus, you know what that means, right? He puts up with you, right? What about long suffering? You know that word means patience, right? We go... Lord, help me with patience. 
Man, it's hard to be patient with other people. Yeah, that's because the word actually comes from the word long-suffering. What, what does that mean? It means to suffer long. Is that a sacrifice? Is that a choice? Is that uncomfortable? Absolutely. And why is it that you're suffering long? Because the other person doesn't change as fast as you want them to. But do you change as fast as you want to? Kind of harder on other people than we are on ourselves, amen? Or maybe we beat ourselves up too and we beat other people up. So what happens when somebody hurts you and you forgive them and they really are working on it, all right? We'll talk about, you know, they're not. That's a whole other story. But let's say we're in community and some of it's just putting up with each other's weaknesses, each other's different intelligences and different personalities, or somebody's just not quite there yet. You're in a marriage relationship or, or you and your children or something like that and something irks you or something bothers you or you just don't like it or something like that. What do you do? Well, it doesn't mean we don't confront and talk with each other, but it says right here, put up with one another. Bear with one another. That means that when you have a weakness, I'm going to cover it with grace. I'm going to cover it and honor you. Why? That's a sacrifice. Does it make sense? It's a sacrifice for me to say, I'm going to honor what's, what your strength is, and I'm going to cover your weakness, and I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to love you. And if you hurt me, I'm going to forgive you. And then if you're still growing, I'm going to extend to you patience. Is that what Jesus has done for you? Did, when you made a mistake, did he kick you out of the kingdom? What happened when Peter denied him? Did he kick him out of the kingdom? Man, Jesus even said, he who denies me, I'll deny him. Remember, that's pretty hardcore, right? Well, that's Jesus. I mean, he said, you deny me, I'm going to deny you. And then Peter denies him. What did he do? He forgave him. Isn't that funny? Why? Because he's a really good Lord. And he wasn't talking about us messing up. When he said, if you deny me, I'll deny you. He was talking about if you, I'm out of here, right? Completely sever the relationship. He's saying, man, you could, Peter denied Jesus. I mean, come on, right? Falls down, picks him back up again, shows him grace. Why? Because he's committed to you. Does it make sense? He fights for the relationship. He is so willing for you to be one with him and for you to fulfill your calling that he would shed his own blood for you. He would die for you. That's how committed to the relationship he is. And that's how committed to the relationship we need to be as we fight for the relationship, as we bear with one another, as we suffer long with one another, and as we forgive one another. And we'll actually, we'll talk more about how to walk in reconciliation and do some of that because that's kind of a tough one. But how about this? Listen to this one. Verse John three sixteen through 18. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. How do we know love? Because he laid down his life for us, right? So it's referring to the cross. Sacrificially, he laid down his life, gave his life for us. And I love this in 1 John three sixteen. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Amen, brother. We should just lay down our life. I love you, Sean. Lay down my life for you. Listen to what he says, verse 17. But whoever has his goods, I'm sorry, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. What does the Bible say is the most evident, most evident way, the most manifested, clear way that we know that we love one another? Over and over again, in 1 John, in James, over and over again, it says Jesus laid down his life. What does that mean? He, he physically, sacrificially died so that I could be right with God. Right? He did it. Why? Because he cares about you. Does he want you to be sick? Anyone? No. So what did he do? He shed his blood on the cross to purchase your healing. Amen? What, what am I trying to say? 
He really cares about you, and he did something about it. And that's what he's saying about us. Love sees the need of the other. Love is always thinking about the other. And love is always thinking about the relationship. And love is saying, what do you need? Love sees the need. When Jesus would see people hurting and sick, what what did the Bible say? He was moved with compassion. Amen? What does that mean? He saw their need and it moved him. You don't get moved with compassion if you're not other focused. He died on the cross not for him but for you. So he's this other focused But think about this. He sacrificially gave his life. And this writer, the Holy Spirit through John says, in the same way, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Love always gives, always moved with compassion to serve and to meet the need of the other. Amen? Look at Matthew 25. Jesus said, uh, remember the parable when Jesus is going to, Uh, Judge the nations, sheep and the goats. And he says, come, he says to the sheep on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Pretty clear, isn't it? That we as Christ followers are to love one another and love other people in very physical, tangible ways. Why? Because Jesus loved us in a very physical, tangible way that met my need. And isn't he my provider? Isn't, doesn't, didn't we say today, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Right? He is my provider. So therefore, we are to be loving one another like that. And it's amazing when you love other people, when you love other people that way, you become the conduit for how he's loving them. Amen? And so you see here that Jesus is literally listing needs that people have, like being hungry and thirsting or being without clothing or being a stranger and taking them in, giving them shelter or being naked and clothing them. And he says that we're being sick and visited, visiting them or going to the prison. You know, why don't we go and visit the sick? Why don't we go to the prisons? I'll tell you why. I think because it's Awkward. See, we do everything to keep ourselves comfortable. Let me tell you, I really believe that most of the areas we need to grow in love in are areas we don't even see. They're not even on our radar. I don't think the disciples were really thinking, I should wash my other disciples' feet. They weren't even thinking about it because it wasn't on their radar. Why? Because we've insulated ourselves with a bubble. We've created cultural things. If we're going to love like Jesus loves, it will not look like this world. You will break cultural norms, Right? Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. That was not normal. Jesus hung out with people you weren't supposed to hang out with. He was washing feet. He was doing things that other people just you weren't supposed to do. Why? He was outside of that comfort zone, outside of that box, outside of that bubble. And let me tell you, if you're not outside of that box, if you don't feel uncomfortable, if you're not hanging out with people who are not like you, I don't think it's love. And so often what we're doing is we're deciding what we're going to do with our life, with our time, with our money, based on what is comfortable for me, right? Here's what we do. Well, I can't give them this money because I need that. So you're thinking about who? You. Does it make sense? Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I know, I, I don't know if I should call them. What if they don't want me to call them? Who are you thinking about? You really thinking about them? I don't know if I should call them because what if, what if they want me to call them? You're thinking about you, aren't you? You're thinking about that, it's going to be weird. It's going to be awkward. I don't really know them. 
You go, and, and, and we don't want to see sick people, do we? Because it reminds us of our own frailty. We don't want to go to prison. Have you ever been? Man, I've, been, I've walked down a prison hallway before, once. You know, <laughs> not saying that because I'm special. I mean, I'm walking down this hallway. It is like quiet, and it's, it's depressing, actually. Go, going to these places means getting out of my comfort zone. Going to these people means getting out of my comfort zone. I love Romans chapter 12. Talk about how to love one another in community. In verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. It means show family affection. Awkward. Right? In honor, giving preference to one another. What does that mean? That means verbally affirming one another as well as serving one another. You know, you're at a life group and you just serve somebody their food and you give it to them. Man, that just doesn't fit our cultural norm, does it? Putting them first instead of you when you're hungry, that takes sacrifice. Right? I'm hungry. Here, you can have the food first. That's awkward because we're so independent, aren't we? We're so independent that we're, we would never do that kind of thing usually. Or even verbally affirming one another. It can kind of be awkward. Have you ever been in a... If you're just, hey, let's all, let's just all say something nice about each other. You know? Uh, okay. It's awkward. Why is it awkward? Part of because we don't practice it often. We need to become a culture, a church culture that's putting each other first, that's showing family affection and loyalty to one another, a church that is showing honor to one another verbally as well as in actions, but literally to prophesy over each other and honor one another and speak words of life over one another until it becomes normal and comfortable for us. Let's keep going here. It says in, in verse 11, not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patience, patient in continuing steadfastly in prayer. In verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints. There's that physical uh, love again, tangible love. And listen, and given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. For if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 12. Let me tell you, this is an amazing description of what a healthy family looks like, but why don't we do this sometimes? Look at that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Well, why don't we do that? You ever, you ever somebody say, oh yeah, praise God, I got a job. What are you thinking about? I didn't get a job. I got a raise. I didn't get a raise. Who are you thinking about? You. You know what hinders us from rejoicing with other people? Self, right? You're comparing, judging, maybe envying, right? Envy, right? Or you're comparing. Oh, maybe I'm not as spiritual. Oh, does God love me? All right, spirit of condemnation, right? What are you thinking about? You. You. And so what happens is when somebody wins, I'm thinking that we're in competition, Right? Somebody, God blesses them, they get victory in their life, and all of a sudden now I think we're in competition. I'm either judging myself or judging them, right? You see this all the time in the church. The church grows, and all all of a sudden, the ministry grows, everyone just starts criticizing. Oh, man. It's horrible, isn't it? Instead of what? If I'm thinking that we're family, and you, if you win, I win because we're family... And when you win, that's just a testimony of God's goodness. And that means that, like, that means it prophesies to me that I'm going to win. Well, guess what? I don't need to compare. I don't need to judge. I don't need to beat myself up. I don't need to envy. I can rejoice with you. It takes being fully given to that person, isn't it? 
instead of being self-focused? What about weeping with those who weep? You know, we don't do that. Want to know why we don't do that? Well, we want to solve the problem, don't we? Brother, don't weep. Stop it. Stop it. No. You know, we want to fix it, don't we? We want to fix it. What the Lord wants, oftentimes when somebody's weeping and they're going through something, you sit with them. Silent. Uh Uh-oh. Silent? What are you talking about? We don't like silence, do we? We don't like suffering. We don't like pain. And yet, the very thing we're called to do is when somebody's going through it, is to sit with them and just be. But we want to control. We want to fix it. Why? Because it's about us. It's about alleviating the awkwardness. And it's about getting out of that place. It is uncomfortable to go and be with somebody. Some of the most, most uncomfortable times I've had is sitting with a dying man, with a family, with no clue what to do. I prayed, I loved, but mostly I sat. That was it. And what I gave to them was my presence because that's what I had. Not that I didn't pray for him to be healed or something like that, but that's all that I had was I had a presence to give them, right? But that's hard, and, but that's sacrificial as well. <clears throat> given to hospitality. Given to hospitality. You know what that means, right? It means going and inviting people to your house or going out to eat with them. Why don't we do that? Well, what if they don't like me? Or, well, I don't really relate to them. You know, honestly, our unity should not be based upon just worldly affinities, right? Well, we both like sports, you know? Well, we like, we're like each other. I don't know what it is. I think it's adolescent. I think it's adolescent. It's not love. That we assess somebody quickly. The moment you meet them, you assess them. You either click or you don't click, right? You click or you don't click. You either have something in common, you don't have something in common. Girls do this with one another in one way. Guys do this with guys in another way, right? We might judge. We might assess. There might be prejudice or there might just be fear. And you might say things like, well, I just don't click with that person. Well, I didn't feel uncomfortable. Really, who are you, ta- who are you thinking about? Who are you thinking about? You. But our unity, though I'm not saying we can't have guys and girls getting around things that they like, have mutual desires. I'm not saying we can't have life groups that are somewhat, people are similar. But think about it. When my sister had a son, she had, you know, the first grandkid of the family, she had a son. Did I say, oh man, you know, my wife, my sister had a son and now I have nothing in common with her, you know? You know, I just, she's in another phase of life. I need to go find another sister. You know, I just not really, I'm just not... We don't, we can't really, I can't really relate to her because she's a parent and I'm not and, you know, right? But what do you hear in the church? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm just another phase of life. I'm older and, and there's all these young people in this church and I just can't really connect because, you know, I'm in a different phase of life or, or the younger people, man, you know, they have kids and I don't have kids and I'm, you know, I just, I just don't fit, right? Is, is, is that, does that sound like healthy family to you? That sounds like some dysfunctional stuff, right? And I hear that kind of stuff sometimes in our church. I hear that sometimes. We're brothers and sisters. What do you do when your sister has a kid? You say what? I'm an uncle. Yeah, I'm an uncle. Why? Because you rejoice with them, because you connect with them, not because you have something in common, but because of your blood, 
They're your flesh and blood. They're your family, right? So it doesn't matter if my sister and I don't really have something in common. And it doesn't matter if she's in another phase of life. We are family, right? And so when there's older in the church, you say, I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. When you're younger in church, you say, I got a grandparent. I got a parent, right? But younger guys and girls, don't tell them they're a grandparent, okay? No, I'm just messing around. Okay, like you celebrate. I'm an uncle. I'm an aunt, right? You celebrate And you find unity, not based upon worldly affinities like sports or knitting or something like that, but you find it what? In Christ, amen? Isn't Christ the center of our unity? Amen? And so that's what I'm talking about. When you're given to hospitality, you're not like, oh, I don't really have anything in common with them or, oh, it's kind of awkward. No, you don't do that. You press through the discomfort. You press through the awkwardness and you build a friendship that's based on Christ, and not on you. Amen? What I'm, you get what I'm trying to say, that love is other-focused. It's not about you. And when you're focused about you, when you're focused on you, like guilt or worry or fear, or what are they going to think about me? It shuts your heart down from loving. What are we saying? That love is always sacrificial. Look, if it doesn't hurt, then it's not love. Giving to other people your time giving to people your money, giving to people the very thing you don't want to give, right? That's one of the ways you can learn how to love is simply giving to them the thing that you struggle to want to give them. That tells you right there where you probably need to grow. But also love lives in that place of discomfort. Many times we don't hang out with people who are unlike us. We don't hang out with people who are different from us. We don't hang out with people who are struggling in certain areas because we don't feel comfortable. I love what Romans 12 says. Don't just, don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Meaning, hey, you rich people, don't just hang out with people who are rich. You hang out with everyone. Don't compare, don't judge. Let's have unity around these things. In fact, Jesus even says this, if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Don't even tax collectors do so? If you love those who love you, what is your reward? I think the reason why a lot of times we don't do evangelism is because we don't love. Because we don't want to feel uncomfortable. And so what we do is Christians will say, I don't really have any Christian friends. Yeah, because you're in a bubble. Why are you in a bubble? Because you put that bubble there so you don't have to feel uncomfortable. If you're going, Jesus was always hanging out with people who were unlike him. Amen? Socially, ethnically, spiritually. If we're going to reach people for Christ because Jesus wants his family to grow, it's going to mean you feeling uncomfortable and it's going to mean sacrificing time and money. If we're going to have unity in our church and deep friendship, it's going to mean you pressing through differences so that you can find the commonality. It's going to mean you giving sacrificially, financially, giving your time, serving one another. That's what it looks like. That's what love looks like. And there's always blessing and there's always life in that all right and so how can we grow in love that's the question it's not like oh we've failed or we're so selfish no how is it that we can grow in love where is it that you need to grow in love where is it that you need to say lord where am i just you know trusting in my comfort zone lord where am i not sacrificing where do i need to sacrifice where do i need to get out of my comfort zone where do i need to be other focused and the key is that we need to let the lord speak to us it's not about judging yourself there's so many areas we don't even know unless we hear the lord say this is the area i want you to work on lead us in response right on